Good morning. Uh, a joy and honor to be again here with you all. Uh, it's, I think it's been just about 10 years that we've been coming. So in a way, this is a home away from home. So good to be with you worshiping this morning. Well, this morning, uh, we're, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, particularly a, sec- a section in Luke with Jesus, his disciples, the crowds, the religious leaders, as, as Jesus, he sets his gaze towards Jerusalem. And Luke sets apart a really big part of his gospel for this road story. And I think he does it as a way of showing us that following Jesus is not a static thing. That following Jesus is not a decision that we once made. To follow Jesus means that, that we will be on a journey with him our whole lives. And to be following Jesus means that we'll always be following him somewhere. And so it doesn't take long in this particular section of Luke's road story where, Jesus Luke, where, where Luke shows us that Jesus likes to shake things up. <laughs> he likes to flip things on their heads. So those listening to Jesus, those of us reading along with Luke, we know that the parables that Jesus offers in this gospel they often come with a surprise twist. Right? The Samaritan, we know that one, right? The outsider is, is the one who offers mercy while the temple priest and the attendant, they pass by the beaten man. The prodigal brother is received joyously by the father while the older brother who had faithfully served, he cuts himself off from the celebration. Poor Lazarus is whisked away to the bosom of Abraham while the rich man, he suffers in torment. And over and over again, Jesus subverts our expectations and and invites scandal. He says, if you want to be rich in this life, you must give your life away. If you want to know what it means to have faith, learn from that unclean leper, from, from the wrong part of town. Become like him, full of gratitude and worship. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus shakes it up again. (laughs) He wants to wake us up, to stir us out of the things that we turn to, to find life that don't actually give us life. And the beautiful and the scandalous part about this is that the grace of God meets us as it always does, right where we are, full of grace and mercy And wonderful, wonderful surprise. So with that in mind, uh, turn with me to Luke 18, uh, verses 9 through 14. Feel free to uh, follow along in your Bibles, or just listen as I read through this passage in Luke. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, this word that we have just read together, we ask that you would teach us its truth, that you would meet us in the places we are, and this word would point us to the word who bears our flesh. Change us by his grace, we pray. Amen. So right away, Luke tells us that Jesus told a parable. The two, the, the two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, when you and I hear the word tax collector, it's not a very pleasant sounding title, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're not feeling warm and kind thoughts towards this title, especially those of us who feel the weight of taxes upon our lives, right? However, in Jesus' day, the word tax collector was an even more terrible term, if we can say that. I mean, it was terrible because God's people were an occupied people. They were conquered by Rome. And Rome, it took enormous taxes. And basically, they were the the spoils of war. And what Rome did was essentially take all the wealth of their conquered countries and just transfer it back to Rome. And the taxes were enormous. And they were collected with a sword and a spear in your face. Who would have the job then of getting these taxes? Well, the Romans, they hired Jewish men to be tax collectors, and and they were loathed. (laughs) They were hated. They were seen like the way that the collaborators were with the the Nazis were seen during the European occupation in Europe. And why were they so so loathed? Well, it has to do with the money, right? The Romans would allow, as long as they got their part, they would allow tax collectors to take as much as they wanted. And you can imagine how wealthy and, and the, these people would become. And, and you can also imagine how hated they were because of this. And they put up with the hate because they were greedy, enormously greedy. And the other man in the parable is a Pharisee. Now, when you and I hear the word Pharisee, it's often in a negative way, right? But a Pharisee wasn't someone negative to Luke's listeners. And why is that? Well, the Pharisees were a part of a reformed movement. At the same time, the the Sadducees, the priests, the, the professional religious officials were seen as being pretty corrupt, they were seen as being in it for the money. They, they weren't very devout. They were mainly there for the power and the, the position. And people knew this. And no one admired them. No one looked up to them. But the Pharisees, they came along, and they were a reformed movement. They were devout. They studied the scriptures. They obeyed it with great precision, including, including their money. Verse 12, it says that this Pharisee he gave a tithe of all that he gets. And, and what he means by a tithe is probably what we often think and teach about, right? It, it was 10%. He was faithful to that generosity. I mean, he would be seen as a pillar of the community, someone who is very pious and generous, someone who cared about people, who in every aspect of their life was viewed with admiration and respect. So we have two people 
one who is greedy, who is loathed and hated in the community, and one who is a pillar, devout and pious, who commanded respect and was seen with God's approval. But Jesus is looking at something very different. Jesus is looking underneath. He is looking at the heart. And this isn't some new idea, something new that Jesus is doing. You know, we see it over and over again in the scriptures, right? God is always looking at the heart. Remember that place in 1 Samuel 15. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. He, do, he doesn't know who the next king is. And all the sons of Je- Jesse, they come tripping in. And one of them is very tall and, and very striking. And Samuel looks at him and, and thinks, this is the one. <laughs> but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that other people look at, right? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. Well, let's look at the Pharisee. Let's look at his prayer. He starts off by saying, God, God, I thank you. Pretty normal. Now, if you're going to thank God for something... You would think that there was a list of things that God had given him, right? That, 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 that's not where he goes. After thanking God, he immediately starts in on all the things that he has given God and everybody else, for which he thinks everyone, including God, should be eternally grateful, right? Actually goes through all the reasons he's so great, right? And all of his accomplishments. I mean, it feels comical. I mean, notice Jesus kind of hints of how silly this is. It says the, the Pharisee stood up and, and pray, stood up and prayed about himself. He's basically adoring himself. He, uh, he, he stood up to adore and to praise himself. And he looks down on, on everyone else. And as Jesus said in, in verse 9, he's confident in his own righteousness and looks down at everybody else's. And so here's what this means, right? Here is a person who is technically generous and godly. Here is a person Here is a person who is technically generous and godly, but not truly generous and holy. A person who is technically generous with his money, but actually in his heart is tight and selfish and proud and grasping. I mean, you feel the fragility of his own praise. In other words, this would be a person who maybe gives quite a bit of money away and maybe even a lot of time to the church and is even sacrificial. And yet this person needs a lot of praise and needs a lot of thanks, praise and adoration when he walks away. And the people he gives to, he kind of controls, right? Because he says, you know, I'm giving you all this money and I want to tell you how you should do everything. But he actually holds grudges and he holds things over people. He never admits when he's wrong. And in other words, he's technically generous, but he's not truly generous. He's generous with his money and his piety, but he's not generous with his heart or his character. 
Well, let me just offer one way that this may show up for you and for me. You know, sometimes we offer a lot of time. We are generous with our time. But, but can we see, can we acknowledge when we need to be in control of everything in our world? That that, that is not always about efficiency and about being really tuned in with things or, or even order and purpose. I mean, sometimes, if we're honest, it's about what's underneath the control. It, it looks like fear or it looks like power. And perhaps maybe we are able to admit that, but like the Pharisee, we can use all of, the, all of that capacity for control and for direction to keep ourselves out of the crosshairs of the Father and away from the pain of chaos. But here's the thing. Going into fear, hanging out in the places that are chaotic for us, that is the place that Jesus wants to meet you. The place, the place of pain, the place of brokenness, the place that you are managing around so well. And Jesus sees it. He wants to go there with you and meet your eyes with his kindness and grace and begin to be honest about the particular ways your control, it plays out in fear and power, not love and order. And when we begin and when you begin that work with him, we become newer and freer and brighter people, right? Well, on the other hand, you have the tax collector. <laughs> and the tax collector, something is going on that is very different, right? Notice it says the, Phar- the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance because he knew that he was unworthy, He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you know what he's asking for? (laughs) He's asking for God's generosity. And in Jesus' ministry, this tax collector will find a face. You see, eventually Luke is going to take us to another tax collector. In chapter 19, we meet Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus experiences the generosity of God, he becomes a generous person, right? And so what Jesus is saying is here is a person, a Pharisee, who is technically generous, but is actually ungenerous. But here is a person like like Zacchaeus, who is technically greedy, but there are things happening in his life underneath that is making him generous. And so Jesus, he wants us to hear That the source of God's approval of being in right relationship is not your personal piety, it's it's the heart. That's That's what God looks at. We see the outside, the superficial, but Jesus, he's turning inward toward the heart. So how do our hearts change? How did this corrupt and greedy and unjust extortionist become generous? Well, let's look. Look at uh, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, first of all, if you want your life to change, you have to respond to God's activity on your own heart. In the text, God is already working on the tax collector's heart. 
He is stirring up conflict and unrest. He feels the turmoil of his character, not just that he has done horrible things, but that he himself is horrible. It's deep. It's inside of him. And, and how, do we know, how do we know this? Well, notice where he is. Right? He's far off. He's not close. He's separate from God. He knows that the things that he has chased after, the, the love of power and wealth, no matter who it hurts or how unjust it is, he knows that he has set himself at a distance from God and from others. And you know what happens when God stirs us up like this? We feel the force of shame. And how do I know this? Well, look at what Jesus says. He says the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Friends, have you ever sat in front of someone and shame shows up? They won't look at you. They can't. Shame explodes in us how much we feel unworthy, how much I feel like I'm the problem, how much I have failed, how much wrong I am, and it is potent and powerful stuff. It's the kind of stuff that starts to break down our relationships. We will say things to ourselves like, you know, I will never do this again because it was humiliating. It was so shameful. And if we're honest, most of us spend our lives avoiding going into these places in our lives, right? To, to engage my shame is to experience the force and the weight of those strong emotions, not just in my head, but shame always shows up in our bodies, no matter how much we try to rationalize it or think about it. And so we avoid it. We stand far off from it so that it won't hurt us, that it won't crush us under its truth. And here's the thing. When we stand far off, away from shame, away from being honest about our lives, we may start to sound and look a lot like a Pharisee. Morally upstanding on the outside, but so protective, so protective and defensive of that inside place. And it's a lot easier to dismiss my own failure. It's a, it's a lot easier to hide behind my own religiosity. It's a lot easier to feel entitled. It is a lot easier to use other people's problems to make me feel better about myself. And when we don't get close enough to the inward places of shame, we will never be able to honestly, to honestly acknowledge our own guilt and the guilt of those around us, to acknowledge the ruptures in relationships that have taken place with God and with others. And let me just say one thing about how these people, the Pharisee and the tax collectors, how they play out in our relationships. Some of us grew up in families where we can identify who the Pharisee is and who the tax collector is. <laughs> Maybe you can even see this play out in your own children. We know the Pharisee, right? They're, they're, they're good and responsible. They're high achievers. They carry the pride of the family. Maybe they're even good leaders and organizers. But they also have a hard time allowing others to be right or to relax or to even have a good time. Is that you? Is that one of your children? 
And in turn, you may know the tax collector, you know, the, the, the person the other family members feel needs the most help. They often agitate the family. Maybe the, the way they express themselves is unacceptable or troubling or even downright wrong and destructive. And yet the tax collector is willing to be honest about the problems in the family. They're unwilling to keep the peace just to do it. They, they want to live their life with integrity and, and so they let it be known, Right? But the hard place for them is that they draw out the problems in the family and no one has ears to hear it or face those problems. The parents are too focused on what is right or avoiding or keeping the peace to actually see how the tax collector could lead them towards life, towards God. And I wonder, I wonder if this sounds familiar. Are there Pharisees and tax collectors in your home? Maybe, just maybe, the tax collectors around us in our own homes, they can lead us to be honest, to, to bring our whole selves in confession before a merciful God and towards repair and forgiveness in our families. And so how do, how do our hearts change? Well, the first step, you, you said you have to respond to God's activity on your own heart, not just in the back, in the far off places, but find the courage to move closer to God. And that leads to the next step. How do our hearts change? Well, we have to be honest about who we are and about who God is. Think about it this way. Many of us are happy to fly over our sin, our, our problems even, Right, we hang out about 30,000 feet above, close enough to see its shape and form, but not actually close enough to acknowledge the particulars of our sin, our, our shame, or even our hurt. Right? But if we find the courage to not just fly over, but to land in that broken place, that broken area of our heart, what do you see? The tax collector is no longer proud or powerful. He's no longer using other people, an unjust system, to fill his own pockets. It has brought him nothing, nothing but scorn and shame and loneliness and pain. He sees his own heart and he's able to say it, I'm a sinner. And what a beautiful confession, teeming with life, teeming with faith, because he knows, he knows the God who is eager to hear from him, who has been waiting for him to come home from that far-off place. He is about to get turned around, given a new identity, given a restored life to live with purpose, to join God in mission in this world, to love and build up and forgive and pursue justice. He was loathed, and he used and abused others to advantage for his own purse and power, And he came, not running or excited, but standing far off with his head down. But he came in faith, in confession and honesty. And he met the kindness and the grace of God. And it changed his life. Jesus points at this, right? Jesus says, this man, he went down to his house justified. He was approved, forgiven. His sins were covered. 
He was righteous before God, not like the Pharisee. You want to know what justifying faith looks like? It looks like the kind of prayer and confession that brings you low, that, that, that allows you to see your need to drop low in confession because you believe the mercy of God can raise you back up. And friends, God raises us up because Jesus dropped deep into death. Jesus loses everything. He lost his glory. He lost his invulnerability. Jesus dropped into all the shame and guilt. He drops into the scorn and the loathing and the injustice and the religious pride and the fragile boasting. He moves into all of that death to be in our place, to raise us up and to send us home full of life. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that like the Pharisee, we find ways to move away from you and others, to lean on ourselves. And Lord, we confess that it is a lot easier to look at you, at others with disdain who don't live like we do. And so God, we pray that you would give us faith, faith that leads us into honesty, to confession, and to, to your mercy. Father, it is our joy that, to know that we can go home justified, approved, because Jesus moves into death for our sake so that we can go home, new people. Thank you for this good news. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.